with a track called Sweet and Tender Hooligan from the album Lyder Van Bombs. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. Welcome once again. 
and welcome to my world, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, I'll be crossing time, space and genre with the finest in indie pop. This week, our special guest is going to be Peter Martin from The Nivens. The Nivens from Northumberland, not East Anglia. So I'll be bringing that interview throughout the show in about three or four easy to digest little segments alongside the usual award-worthy playlist. But because we're feeling particularly excited about the Nivens, I thought we should play their classic song, and I would say perfect pop song, with Yesterday.
the dentist with the track called I Had an Excellent Dream, one of the Medway bands. Before that, we had our special guest this week. Yes, it's the Nivens with their track called Yesterday, which I have to say is, um, as as you pay, might have been paying attention at the beginning, was pure pop perfection in an indie sort of way. But my God, the first time I heard it, it was almost like a JFK moment. Where were you? Anyway, they are my special guests because I caught up with frontman Peter Martin a few months ago. So I'll be bringing that interview. But because we're feeling very biased towards the band, I thought we should play another track by them um, from their extensive back catalogue. And this is going to be Let Loose on My Knees. Trying to 
Is or was the Sid Leesman track called Sunshine Thuggery, and that came from their album Slum Clearance. And I did catch up with the, I think it was Johnny Johnson, the f- f- uh, lead singer of the band, a few months ago. And there is going to be a Sid Lee special as well. I know the excitement. And before that, we had the one and only. Nivens, yes indeed, and um, that was a track called Let Loose on My Knee. This is David Esau, this is the C86 show, and as I said at the beginning, and hopefully you were paying attention, this week's special guest is the Nivens, and no, not the ones from Norwich, but the ones up north, because I caught up with Peter Martin quite recently, and um, for those who are sort of having trouble tracking down some of their material, because some of it is quite tricky to to, uh, find, Fire Station Records, who are based in Germany, have put together a compilation of their stuff and also I think there was uh, Cherry Red Records has also put out C87 87 not 86 compilation that featured also uh, that incredible single yesterday by the band and also I think it was the Sidleys as well so there you go check it out I do believe Cherry Red Records has also got a new compilation coming out um, in a month's time C89 I know, where are they going with that one? Anyway, look, I've got this interview with Peter Martin coming up very soon, but before that, we're going to play another track by the band. This is uh, titled, I Hope You'll Always Be My Friend. Thank you. 
Another delightful indie classic from the Nivens, and that was a track called I Hope You'll Always Be My Friend. This is David Eastor. This is the C86 Show. I will tell you a little bit later how you can contact me, but I think we'll play the first part of the interview with Peter. This is where he gives us a bit, a bit of background about how the band came together. Um, just, just through school. We were all friends at school and um, all big fans of the Smiths and kind of those kind of indie bands of the 80s and then just started our uh, started our own band played a lot of local gigs uh, around Cramlington and Northumberland and Ashington and then we ventured to Newcastle where we met up with a lad who started Whoosh Records right had you heard of those they were like a fanzine there was the Whoosh fanzine and then Whoosh Records and he used to put bands on at a pub in Newcastle called the Broken Doll Okay. Um, so he had people like My Bloody Valentine, um, Flatmates, Razor Cut, all the kind of like indie bands from the late 80s, 88, 89. Um, and we played with a lot of them. So we played with a lot of them at the Broken Doll. And then he did a fanzine with a flexi disc, which is the on the compilation album. Uh, Let Loose Stuff My Knee was the flexi. And then we did the first single, which was Yesterday. Um, it got played on John got into the indie top 10 uh, we played we didn't play loads of gigs around the country but we played a few places and supported people like mega city four um, the groove farm people like that around the country and then we did the second single and obviously we had this kind of dispute with the nivens from norwich um and they kind of whoosh obviously had no money other than the money they'd made from the record so they couldn't fight the claim for the name so it kind of we just fizzled out then really Yes. Oh, that's interesting because I sort of interviewed Martin Stevenson from the Dainties a few months ago and obviously they're, you know, also from the far um, far east, northeast as well. So obviously around that same time there must have been a bit of a music scene going on because cause also doing this programme or show I sort of realised that most, um, that indie scene kind of for me started about the 82, 83 with the Smiths doing their first single and then the first album and, and it seemed to be that period from then until about eight. 87 when things were going quite well and then it started to fizzle out with things like the dance scene and then grunge started coming along so you were you obviously there 
at the beginning of the kind of indie world? Um, we were kind of fans, fans of um, like the Smiths and that whole indie C86 thing. We were fans of the Dainties. We used to go and see the Dainties quite a lot in Newcastle. Um, Nick has bought Bolivia came out about 86. That's right. Um, and then we didn't really start playing gigs till 87. And then the single didn't come out till our first single wasn't released till 89. And by then, yeah, the, the whole scene was kind of like, there was still a lot of bands I and mean, Sarah Records were still quite prominent at the time. And there was still quite a lot of indie bands, but it was kind of changing. Um, I think it was kind of changing into the whole Manchester thing and dance and, and grunge. And, and that was part of the reason we packed in as well. I think the whole thing had kind of become just it wasn't like <laughs> we weren't like flavour of the month anymore. It was almost like we were out of step with everything that was going on. Yes, well, I kind of got um, the impression that a lot of bands also had that problem, apart from a few that were able to, you know, like the Happy Mondays were quite indie and then they got into dance and Stone Roses and also people like yeah. The Shaman has also managed to do it, but a lot just yeah. sort of um, just decided, because I sort of realised doing this show that most bands do have this kind of a five-year, four to five years of doing their thing of, you know, creating the band and then realising they've made a sound that's kind of worth listening to. And then, you know, and often it was John Peel and the possible John Peel session that sort of gave him that next kind of boost to to get the album. And then then sort of the, then there was a bit of a tour, but then it was kind of like keeping that momentum going. And I was amazed just how many bands that kind of kills them off, especially when they're starting to think about the second album. Yeah, I think it does i think there's a natural life and you obviously usually of an age where you just left school you you know you might have gone to university or you're at university or you got a job and then you do it for that time and then you kind of suddenly have to decide if it's going to be a full-time thing or just a hobby that you're then going to pack in so i think it's a, a kind of an age thing as well that people get married and have kids and grow up a bit and stop being in a band unless they've become you know, famous enough for it to kind of become their career. Yes. So I think there is a kind of four to five, yeah, from, from I suppose they're probably, I mean, if you looked at the ages of most fans, it'd probably be between 17, 18 year old and 22, 23, and then that would kind of be it, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There wouldn't be a lot, there wouldn't be a lot beyond that. Because um, I think if you haven't made it, like in terms of you making money and people know you, you, you just... Get, we we kind of just got fed up with it. It became too much hassle getting together. We were, I was at teacher training college. It was so much hassle to get us all together again. Whereas yes. when we started, we were all kind of either in the sixth form at school or on the dole and nothing else to do really than practice and look forward to gigs and stuff. Yes. Suddenly in the next few years, it became it became like it became difficult, you know. And once once you're doing something that you it's more like it's hard work but you're not really getting anything out of it you just end up stopping don't you there you go that's the first part of my interview with frontman peter martin from the nivens and um if you're interested and you're trying to track down more of their material there was a compilation that came out titled from the northumberland mining village comes the sound of summer which features most of their stuff that's on fire station records also cherry red records put out a compilation um like i said the c87 uh, which had a track called Room Without a View. And if you want, you can also be friends on Facebook with them, but um, do check out which Nivens they are. But uh, to keep the party rolling, I think we should play another track by the band. Indeed, we should. This is titled Summertime.
Certainly knew how to write a fantastic and slightly, um, like I said, melancholic love song. But anyway, that's Nivens once again and the track called Summertime. This is David Esau. Like I said, if you want to contact me, you can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86show and um, I will be there. I normally respond quite quickly and it's always nice to hear from you. But anyway, this is the second part of the interview uh, where we talk about that. Uh, interesting and uh, sometimes tricky experience of being in the band and juggling all the dynamics within the band, plus also the financial and legal side. And um, yes, this is why most bands don't last for more than five years. Peter, tell us the story. I think it, it, it is, and you know, we never made any money at all. You know, even we'd play a gig and we'd go. I remember we went to Bristol and you know, you bro- we broke even. It was like a big gig supporting Mega City Four, and it was a great, it was sold out. and Etc. Etc. But we, we ended up we didn't even have enough money to like get a McDonald's on the way home with the the cost of the van and the cost of things that you know was outweighed. By, <laughs> but but that was all the money we made. Everything was on the cost of doing the gig. Yes. So you're never going to become never going to become rich doing it unless you did become you know the wedding present or the house. I mean, there were some bands became big, the House of Love, people like that. But the the majority of bands just played kind of pub type venues few hundred people you know even if you sold out and you you weren't making money and if you divide that by five members of the band you suddenly 
you're not getting anything really, are you? No. So what did and how did you cope with you know that that sort of admin and the the kind of ownership of the music? Because obviously you're on a small kind of fanzine record label from sort of 88 to do your singles so were you able to sort of own the music that you created well yeah i mean we owned obviously we, there was no we didn't we didn't have a publishing deal or anything like that we just put it out and it was just ours there was never any kind of having to prove any ownership um now we've done the stuff on cherry red the compilations that goes through cherry red publishing right and we kind of uh, sold our souls to them. So they, I don't know, if, I, I, don't, I mean, really, they don't they don't own the rights to the songs because I don't think the songs have any real value. <laughs> um, but because they're publishing the, the, the compilations, and we've had quite, actually quite a lot of um, interest because of those two box sets. So it's been a real positive for us. Um, so we kind of said, yeah, they can, we, we'll sign a deal with them. And we've all signed up to say that they, you know, and we get a royalty check. We got a royalty check for sixty pounds <laughs> about four months ago. So that was twelve pound each. <laughs> it was, I think it's the first time we've ever made any money out of the band. Um, <laughs> yes, you know, it's, it's quite it's quite nice, and it's nice like like people like you, you know, they're getting in touch. And I had an email not long ago off a lad just saying he he bought the C eighty eight and really liked the track, so he'd gone out and bought the the whole album from Fire Station Records. Yes. Um, so it's things like that, and it's nice like 30 years later that people are still going and buying, you know, buying your records in a way. It's, it is now. Well, it is quite handy. I mean, I must admit, Cherry Red, you know, did have hoovered up most of those indie labels. And um, on one level, I don't know what the sort of business deal is with that. But the good thing is that they're, they're not just sitting on it. They're kind of using the stuff. And they've brought out, like I said, those, well, you said those compilations. You know, there was first the C88, uh, C86, which was the cassette which had 22 tracks. And they've brought that out with 66 tracks. And then they thought, well, let's keep running with this. And, and actually, I've been quite relieved because there has been a few really difficult to get singles that I haven't managed to ever sort of own. And, and they're not very good quality on the Internet. So actually, they've, they've, it's been quite nice that they've boxed them up and then made a nice, like, box, um, a booklet to go with them as well. Yeah, I mean, it is really nice. It's nice, to, like, obviously for us to see your own band on this box set with all these other, you know, some of them great bands, you know what I mean, who made it quite big. And, like, uh, the first box set had a picture of us in, the second one had the single sleeve in the booklet. So it's just, it's nice to see those kind of things that, you know, people are... And obviously people are buying them because I don't think they sell loads, but they're certainly selling some or they wouldn't keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, so it's, well, it is nice. The interesting thing is, and I suppose it came with the cassette as well, that the one thing I noticed from interviewing all these bands is that nobody ever felt they were part of a scene. But actually, for a person like me who was a fan at the time, you know, we did sort of think of all these bands as being part of a scene. So... Did you, when you were sort of creating your sort of singles and, and putting together your material, did you feel any kind of kinship to the indie scene? Not really, because there wasn't there wasn't a big scene in Newcastle at all. You see, there was very few, like, as in indie bands, and there was no, like, indie labels like, you know, the Factories or Creation or even Sarah or anything like that. So the lad who did Woosh, he was our friend. I mean, he started Woosh, and that was... And like we used to play at the Broken Doll, but and there was a little scene in Newcastle, but it, it was Newcastle was never really a big, you know, there was never really any band from Newcastle who had made it or any big names. I mean, I know I know about Martin Stevenson, but they were on Kitchenware, and Kitchenware was always kind of like 
this big national that you know you were never going to get on kitchenware. Um, but you know there, there wasn't much seen. And then when we went to different places, we used to play Middlesbrough quite a bit, which is where I now live. And there was always a bet. I always used to think a better scene in Middlesbrough indie bands there than there was actually in Newcastle. We playing by ourselves, and we ever did in Newcastle. Um, so that was quite nice. And we'd play Darlington and Stockton and you know places in the north. And I always got always seemed to go down better somewhere else. I think Newcastle was almost like a. I mean, it was. It's traditionally was always a heavy metal town, and I think it just never really was a never took to kind of like that indie scene at all. And that's the second part of my interview with Peter Martin from the Nivens. I've still got a few more bits to go. So I think we should play another track from the band. This is um, titled, yes, Northumberland. I know, their home county. There you go. Take it away, boys. with a track called Northumberland 
And um, yes, we're going to have our next interview with Peter Martin. I know the excitement. But just before we play that, um, just to sort of give a bit of a shout out to the various compilations that are coming out on Cherry Red Records that we've all been talking and having sleepless nights about because um, at the end of July, I do believe they have got a new triple CD box set titled C89, which is going to probably feature something like 70 records. And this is going to feature bands such as the Stone Roses, Mock Turtles, the Pooh Sticks, the Man from Del Monte, the Pop Guns, and much, much more. So do check it out. And also it's going to feature a booklet with lots of uh, photographs and 8,000 words written by the one and only Neil Taylor. He who helped put together the original C86 tape. Anyway, the next part of my interview with Peter Martin, where we talk about the world of record labels. I know it's something that old people like to do quite a lot, especially anything to do with Sarah Records. Yeah, because Sarah, Sarah was, we always wanted to be on Sarah. That was kind of like the label you aspired to be on if you were like our kind of indie band, um, but never got anywhere with them. No. Um, but, but, but they probably had every indie band in the country sending them demos and tapes and wanting to be on them. Which is why we eventually did the Flexi ourselves. We did the Flexi, our original Flexi disc. We just thought we'll just have to do it ourselves. We're not going to get on because it was Shalala before Sarah. Okay. Um, we always we always wanted to be on a Shalala Flexi, and then that never happened. So we just did our own. Um, and then obviously Woosh Records came from the from the Flexi discs and from the fanzines. Yeah. But it never had it never had any kind of impact with like the NME or the Meldy Maker or anything because it was this kind of out in the sticks up in your castle, whereas Sarah, everything they released kind of got good reviews in, especially Melody Maker. They used to just love everything that Sarah did. <laughs> whereas I don't think the stuff on Sarah was any better than stuff we were doing or stuff other bands were doing, but because it wasn't on this label, it was like a bit like creation. You know, if you were on creation, you, you'd almost made it, whether you were good, bad or indifferent. Yes. Um, well, it's Creation had some great bands. I mean, obviously they had great bands, but they also had some rubbish as well, but everything because you were on creation it was almost like a badge of honor wasn't it yeah absolutely and it was the same with 4ad records i mean yeah, way, they, yeah you knew even though it was quite diverse and there was quite a lot of different stuff from people like dead can dance to the pixies and throw muses you were always a bit curious what they were signing because you they came with a certain i suppose they branded themselves in a way that made you sort of want to know what was the next release because they seemed to have their finger on some sort of zeitgeist and some sort of creative yeah. pulse but it, you know again they were able to label it i think sarah records i think they're probably a bit amazed that you know i did interview matt who was one of the two who ran it and i think you know it was just a very fanzine kind of hobby but you know i think i think they're, being, they're kind of chuffed that they they've sort of gone down in sort of indie history really yeah well they did i mean they, they were the kind of in that kind of period late 80s they were the the be all and end all everybody wanted to be on Sarah Records, and it was just it was it was recognised as you know as this whole scene and the whole image, wasn't it? It was. Um, yes. So they, they did obviously they did really well. I mean, I, was, I remember at the time I spoke. To, I think it must have been Matt on the phone, and he was to, he was going to or he talked about releasing Lucas Eight Orgasms when we released that as a tape on a flexi, and he and I think it was just the weight of people. He said he had something like. 500 demo tapes to listen to and obviously he, he must have decided that you know other things were better and blah 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 you know what i mean because you you know if he was there was a lot of good bands on sarah i mean i loved the orchids the orchids were one of my favorite bands but there was also some not so good yes. <laughs> you know what i mean especially the later stuff which was just 
really derivative and not good. But again, some of the early stuff's brilliant. You know, the orchids and sea urchins and people like that. Yeah, absolutely. Just great stuff. Yeah. So looking back at your your sort of back catalogue for the Nivens, which which was the particularly you know your your sort of your favourite moment that you thought, God, we've really cracked it here. Uh, when we released yesterday, when yesterday came out, it came out early '89. And it got in the top 10. It was in the indie top 10. We got a write-up in Record Mirror. Um, and it just seemed we were going to be famous. That was it. That was the first step on the ladder to stadium <laughs> <laughs> and millions of albums and blah, blah, blah. And then sold out and got in the indie top 10. It was still only a couple of thousand records that people were actually buying. But we played a, a tour around then. And people were turning up just to see us. And people were buying the single. And people were getting excited. And again, it was this whole thing of... You were from a different town. You know, we played, I remember we played Bristol and we played Southampton and we played um, places down, um, Wolverhampton and stuff and all these people were coming out to see and it was like, oh my God, you know, we really made it now. But obviously yeah. we hadn't. Peter Martin from the Nivens talking about their hit single yesterday and also record labels. And then that interview had to be quite um, quickly stopped because he was taking his daughter to a dance lesson but I do have um, another bit which I think I'm going to play towards the end of the show but before that we're going to have another song by the band this is Tales from a Duffel Coat Ways are leading me astray. 
by the Nivens and that was a track called Tales from a Duffel Bag I do think I said Duffel Co but hey who cares life's too short anyway look this is going to be the last part of the interview with Peter that I had after he'd taken his daughter to the uh, dance lesson bizarrely the member of Micro Disney had to do the same thing it's rock and roll or just kind of when you're getting a bit older and you've got children but anyway this is where we talk about um, the band and how it all sort of came to an end to quote Jim Morrison we never really kind of sat down and just said, all right, that's it, we're going to finish and, you know, do like a farewell gig or whatever. We we played, we'd released a second single and it got withdrawn because of the other band with the name. We weren't allowed to sell it anymore because of like the infringement with the name. Um, and we played, I remember we played a couple of gigs in about, must have been about January 1990, yeah. um, which was a couple of months after the single had come out. We played the, Bro- the Broken Doll again, like the Whoosh Club. Um, and then we just we just fizzled out. We just I was away at college. There was a lad was working down London, um, the drummer, and we just I remember coming back months later and just saying, "Are we going to do anything?" It was just like, "No, we just can't be bothered." Kind of just fizzled out. Yes, and, then... um, and never did anything. You know what I mean? It wasn't like kind of conscious. Oh, we've split up. It was just we we knew we had to come up with a new name because we couldn't use the Nivens. Um, so anything we kind of built up with the Nivens was then going to be gone, um, and we just kind of just fizzled out and just never, you know, just didn't really think about it. And did um, you, we, sorry. And I was just going to say, did you do you sort of or did you miss it when it sort of when you thought um, that's it? Yes, well, yes and no. I, I I did a little bit, but I'd gone to teacher training college in Ripon. Um, so every time we had to rehearse or do anything, I always was having to come back and I was having such a good time there that I, I got to the point where I, I kind of almost resented coming back. I couldn't be bothered. Like if they say, oh, we're going to rehearse this weekend or we've got a gig and I used to do all the organizing. I used to organize all the gigs, everything we did. And I think I just kind of like had enough. And if I wasn't like doing it and driving it, then it just kind of fizzled out. The others wouldn't do anything. You know what I mean? I basically organised everything we did, kind of almost managed the band as well as sang. Um, so I think once I was not really bothered anymore, it just kind of stopped. Yes. And, uh, what, and what would you say to your 18-year-old self after that kind of experience and a few decades passing by? Um, I don't know. I mean, part of me wishes we, we had just like... Because we could have ridden it out the whole, like, the other name because they never did anything. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like we were called the Stone Roses and, you know, suddenly there was a massive band with the same name. 
it, you know, the Nivens from Norwich, nobody's ever heard of them. So it was, you know, it wasn't like they were going to become famous. I think we probably could have carried on as the Nivens because we actually, we, we build ourselves as the Nivens from Northumberland for, you know what I mean? After that, even on the compilation album we did recently. Um, so we could have probably stuck with that and just, I think we, we probably could have done it and carried on without being so... I think we, I think at the time we always just you, you thought you were going to be famous, you know what I mean? We thought we'll we'll be on John Peel, then we'll have a single, then the next single will go higher in the charts, then we'll get signed up, then we'll be you know and you kind of had this pathway in front of you, and everything was everything you did had to be better than the last time. Whereas I think if you were now looking back, if you'd just been content to just play, play a few gigs and you know release a few records and whatever, and not be bothered what actually happened to them we would have been much happier yes do you know what i mean it was almost like we we kind of expected to because we did kind of progress we went from playing little gigs you know and then to bigger gigs supporting bigger people releasing a single single gets in the indie top 10 uh we had a we were on television like a local television thing that we recorded in the summer of 89 and it was on telly and uh, we just, it was kind of like we were always progressing. And then suddenly with the single being withdrawn, that progress kind of stopped. And I think we took it as like, oh, well, that's the end. And I think we could have just thought, well, no, it's not. It's just, you know, it's a little blip and we can just carry on. And But I don't know. I suppose loads of bands go through that and loads of bands split up, don't they? And probably yes. all look back and think, I don't know why we did that, but they did it. Yes, I think it's a, a kind of. We said this earlier, didn't we? I think there's a natural life of a band of about four or five years that, once you get beyond that, if you haven't really made it and you're making a living out of it, you need to go and do something sensible. But did you <laughs> feel? Become, yes, well, that's quite that's true. But did you feel yeah. like when you started watching all these guitar bands on the Britpop period, which came along about two years later, did you think, oh no, we could have been doing that? Yeah, I, I did a little bit. That was the only time when I thought it kind of came back round because I think in 1990 we weren't kind of weren't ever going to be part of that dancey thing because we just that wasn't what we were doing and then kind of grunge came along and there was nothing and we thought like we're just out of step here with everything which was I think part of the reason again why it was easy to call it a day because the whole indie thing had kind of just died for a little while hadn't it with the death of the Smiths and nobody would really come along to take their place and um, it kind of didn't. It kind of fizzled out. But then, as you say, yeah, if we'd hung on, and we'd like like Pulp. I look at a band like Pulp, and obviously I know Pulp became massive, but they'd been going for about fifteen years before they became massive. Yes. They'd been releasing stuff in the early eighties that was you know nobody'd heard of, and they just kept going and going and going. And then all of a sudden, they were fashionable when Britpop <laughs> came. And I just think if we'd kept going and gigging you know, and, and doing our own stuff, then, yeah, that, that might have happened. I'm not saying we were going to be as big as Pulp, but we, you might have kind of hit on the Britpop thing, which we probably would have fitted in with the jangly guitars and the sounding like the Smiths and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Blah, 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 to quote Iggy Pop. And that is also the final part of my interview with Peter Martin from the Nivens from... Northumberland. A big thank you for giving me the time for that. I really appreciate it. And like I said, um, their material is about, but it is kind of tricky to find. But if you go to, I think it's Whoosh Records or uh, Fire Station Records as well, you might be lucky. But anyway, uh, that's been the end of the show. I've been David Esau. This has been the C86 show. And uh, if you do want to contact me, 
I think almost something quite desperate there. Um, you can via Twitter or Facebook just go to at C86show, as long as it's kind of uh, positive and groovy and all that. If it's not, then just don't bother. But anyway, I'll leave you with another band, um, another track by our special guest. This is the Nivens and the track called San Francisco. Everything. 